This is the First Emmanuel Lutheran Church Podcast. For more information about us, who we are, and how to get connected, check us out online at filministries.org. Today's message is delivered by Pastor Tim Sieben. Brothers and sisters in Christ, kind of a unique sermon series title, isn't it? Not just for kids, Noah and the Ark. So often we have this picture, and and I remember even growing up, there was a bathroom dedicated in our house to Noah and the Ark, and there was really nothing about the, the disaster or the destruction, only the cuteness of arcs and animals and rainbows. Well, we're going to investigate that, but we're going to look much deeper into why Noah needed to build the Ark in the first place, and we will find out. It's not just for kids. So when we ponder building, and that's what we're looking at in the lesson of Noah today, we're going to look at how he built this massive structure to keep his family safe when the world was flooded. But when we think of buildings, we might think of that dream house that we constructed or that addition that we put onto the house. Ah, the building project. For DIY guys like me, it might be building the deck or building a shed for the backyard. Some of you may think historically like building an empire. As that famous saying goes, Rome wasn't built in a day. It takes time. We're going to get to that later. Some of you uh, might be building your business or building your career or building your family or building your 401k. These are the things of the world that we spend time investing our lives in. And building takes the investment of effort, time, and resources. You're going to hear that several times today. Building takes the investment of effort, time, and resources. And if you were going to do any of these things, it certainly takes time, effort, and resources. But we're going to look at why Noah needed to build the ark. Why did he have to build it in the first place? To better understand that, we're going to jump back to our reading from Genesis chapter 6. And in it, listen again to how terrible God's perfect creation had become in just a few generations. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. The Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. God was destroying a corrupt world, but he would bring life and save life through this building project of the ark. But did you hear those harsh words Wickedness was man, evil intent. Man had only evil intent. And God, he regretted that he had created humans and it grieved his heart. His heart was hurt. We know what it's like when we feel hurt, when someone betrays us, when someone hurts us emotionally, uh, when someone says something that is so painful and hurtful, we, we feel that pain. Parents, uh, you may feel it when you try to raise your kids the right way and then you get that phone call and you're like, ah. 
you don't regret necessarily having your kid, right? No, I'm not saying that. But you know what it's like to be grieved over the sin of another. Now, Noah, uh, he wasn't perfect, and neither are we. Uh, but Noah was a righteous man. Noah followed the ways of Yahweh. Uh, Adam and Eve walked with God. And they kind of knew who God was and how he wanted to be worshipped. And that was passed along orally from generation to generation. And Noah and his family still abided by that truth. They still worshipped the one true God. And that is what made him right in God's sight. But he was the exception in a world of corruption. Noah and his family remained true to worshipping the one true God. And because of his faith... Noah was called to build an ark. <laughs> now, if God called us to build an ark today, we might go, I don't quite understand. And I wonder how many of us would actually say, okay, Lord, I'm ready. I'm going to do it. I'm going to buy land. I'm going to get the supplies. I'm going to do what is necessary because you tell me to do it. Noah was faithful, and he followed God's command and likely it took 75 to 120 years to build that ark. I'm going to talk a moment about that size, but this was a massive undertaking that Noah and his family were about to enter into. And I am neither of those ages or anywhere in between those ages, but that's a long time. So imagine... You wake up, you're one years old, we got some youngsters in here, right? You're going to work until you're 120 building an ark, and that is going to be your primary goal. Well, just to help us understand uh, that building takes the investment of effort, time, and resources, Noah certainly understood that. But to understand how long 120 years is, I want to give you some perspective here in America what it looked like 120 years ago. So the average family income in 1910 was $332 a year. <laughs> I'm pretty sure some of you teenagers are making that right now as you receive your paychecks when you get them. $332 a year. In 1900, only about half of American children were enrolled in school. That's 5-year-old through 19-year-old. Only 50% were engaged in education. The rest were likely working on the farm or in businesses already. 100 years ago, in 1950, half of the Americans lived on farms, probably like many of your families. If you're long-standing families here in Cedarburg, you would have come up in a farming family. And then in 1915, there was one car for every 50 people. Now it feels like we have one car for every driver in our family. That's 100 years. See how things have changed in our country that's how long Noah was investing his time and his talents and his effort in building the ark. What incredible commitment. And here on the screen, you have a picture of the ark encounter. It's a life-size ark that was designed by uh, Answers in Genesis, uh, Ken Ham and his group. They put this together so that people could experience what it would be like to walk inside of a full-size ark so that they could help people explain how God could fit everything he needed to recreate the world onto the ark. A massive structure, huge. I read somewhere it took over 330,000 screws to build that ark, and I'm sure it took, took years to accomplish with our modern technology today. Now imagine Noah and his family building it with primitive 
technology, a massive building project. But Noah listened to God and did it. Now, to help us understand the dimensions of that ark, I, want, I took a, a picture of Lexi's picture from up in the learning cove. The, the students made a bunch of arcs, and I thought this one might not be to scale, but it can help us paint the picture a little, a, a little more clearly. So the length of the ark in cubits, so a cubit, by the way, is 18 inches, was 515 feet. That's really big. Some of you in a few minutes will go home. I, I guess the Packers don't play till three, but we'll go home and we'll turn on the television and we'll look at that huge green field. Now, the ark was longer than the entire field plus the end zones. And it was about two-thirds the width of a football field. That's a massive structure. If we had to go out and build that today, we'd be like, I gotta hire someone, I gotta raise. I mean, it's probably, it definitely is smaller than the building we just put on out here, right? And you go, whoa, how would Noah, with his primitive design, be able to build such a massive structure? 515 feet in length. Now, in height, it was 51 feet tall, and in width, 86 feet wide. A massive building, three or four stories high to save humanity. That was Noah's building project. The uh, Ark Encounter people, this is the way they designed it. Uh, where if you looked inside, you could see those three levels that God told Noah to design kind of with an open in the middle. Uh, just a massive structure to save humanity and all breathing things. To give you a little more perspective on how large the ark was, back in 1909, the Wyoming was the largest wooden ship ever built. It was about 400 feet in length. Again, 1900, that's thousands of years after Noah, 400 feet, or excuse me, 100 feet shorter than the ark. And many of you may remember the story of the Nina the Pinta and the Santa Maria that Columbus sailed over here to discover America. Well, the Santa Maria was 100 feet long. 40, or excuse me, 400 feet smaller than the ark. And almost all of us know of that massive ship, the unsinkable Titanic that eventually sank. Well, it was 800 feet in length. The ark just 300 feet shy of the Titanic. A massive undertaking for Noah and his family. For building takes the investment of effort, time, and resources and Noah must have put his life, his effort, and very likely a lot of his wealth into the construction of this one massive ark because God told him to do it. He was committed to build what God told him to build. But what about us? God hasn't called us to build an ark. We're not going to go home and build this massive wooden structures in our backyards. But as a Christian, what are you being called by God to build? So some of us might think, well, maybe, you know, it's those physical things that I alluded to before. But I want you to shift your thinking to spiritual things. In your spiritual walk with God, in your faith walk, what is God calling you to build? So let's start with us, individuals, personally. God calls us to build our faith 
as we engage his word and we take time to pray to him, we are called to build ourselves. Not that we can create our faith. The Holy Spirit does that. But when we expose ourselves to God's word, our faith grows stronger and is built stronger each and every day. And when we are confident in our faith, then it allows us to help build others and share our faith with them, our families, maybe our spouses, our siblings, our co-workers. When our faith is built strong through the word of God, then we can share that word of God with other people so that their faith might be built stronger each day. What is God calling you to build? And this last one is precious to me. What about that next generation? Are you building the faith foundations for our children and our grandchildren so that faith lasts a lifetime. It doesn't end in 14 years old at confirmation or at 18 at the end of high school. Our faith is supposed to grow and develop over a lifetime until we see our Savior face to face. As we build ourselves through receiving of the word and study and prayer, then God equips us with the confidence and the ability and the wisdom to build the faith lives of others. I, maybe I shouldn't so boldly speak, but I do believe uh, we're on the verge of losing a generation of Christians because they're not going to know what church is. They're not going to know what it's like to be in a place where God's word is proclaimed. And that grieves my heart. It hurts my heart to know uh, that we may have, and we already are, um, when you think of Cedarburg on a 4th of July, the place is packed. If you've never seen it, you've got to do it someday. Uh, but when you walk down that road, and we do, we have a parade in the float each year, you have to imagine that about 50% of the people in that parade are not believers in Jesus Christ. Or if they are, they really may not know what that means because they haven't been building their faith. And maybe some of us have been struggling with that too. We need to build our faith so that we can build the faith of others in our lives, so that they too might have a faith that lasts a lifetime. For there will be judgment. It's just fact. When we die, we will either go be with Jesus or our bodies will wait until Christ returns. And are you going to be on the right side with Jesus or are you going to be on the left side where there is eternal judgment? We don't talk about that much as Lutherans do. We don't get into uh, heaven and hell all that much. But this is really what God was doing through the flood. I am destroying the world. Everyone is wicked. They are judged. God is a righteous God and he hates sin. And we have sin in our lives. And there is a time limit. At the end of that time limit, uh, will we be faithful? For we know that all of us are guilty for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we all know as Christians, we need what Jesus gives. For at the bottom of that Romans verse, Romans 3.24, it says, and are justified by his grace. We are made right by God's grace. It is a gift because he loves us. God didn't condemn everyone at the flood. He saved Noah and his family. And God doesn't condemn everyone, but he gives us Jesus who takes our sins and washes them away with his own blood. He brings us hope and a future because of Christ. Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 5, For as by the one man's disobedience, 
the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. The one man, Jesus, by his obedience, we will be made righteous. By the one man's obedience, Jesus, our sins are forgiven. By the one man, Jesus, we have hope and a future. We are made righteous, not because of me or you, but because of Jesus. Noah and his family were saved in a wooden vessel of the ark, and we were saved by one who stretched his arms out on a wooden beam, and he shed his blood so that our sins might be covered over. We were rescued, not from a flood, but from our sin. Through the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ, and through him, we have hope and a future. For Jesus makes us righteous, and the Holy Spirit continues to build that faith in us as we hear the word of God on a regular basis. So let's build together. Let's partner in this opportunity to build one another up. Let's partner in this opportunity as the church to build the next generation up together. And we go back to our gospel reading where Jesus and Peter are engaging in a conversation. Jesus said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. This verse is sometimes misunderstood. Uh, what is Jesus referring to as the rock that he will build upon? It's actually Peter's confession. It's Peter's confession. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. On that rock, we build our church. We build our faith on Jesus Christ, the true cornerstone. I want to dig into that verse just a little more. In that verse it says, and you are Peter, Petrus, if you look at the screen, I've got a picture of rocks, movable rocks, things that we can move. That is the word used for rock there. For Peter's name also means rock, Petrus, movable. But what Christ is referring to as the rock on which the church will be built, that is the Petra. That is solid. It is an immovable rock. God isn't building the church on Peter, Petrus. He's building the church on the Petra, Peter's confession. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. We build our faith on Jesus, the chief cornerstone. And in our faith life, building takes the investment of effort, time, and resources. Who can you invest in today? Who can you pour into and encourage them as they build their faith by the power of the Holy Spirit through the engagement of God's word. For Noah, he had to build an ark. You and I, let's build something that lasts longer than gopher wood and pitch. Let's build each other's faith by the power of the Holy Spirit through the sharing of the word. May we build each other up to remain faithful and build that church on the rock of Jesus Christ, our chief cornerstone. Let's build something that doesn't just last for a few years. Let's build something that lasts for eternity. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. 
If you want to learn more about First Emmanuel Lutheran Church, visit filministries.org. We'll see you next week, and God bless.